Are you ready? Oh, yeah. I'm going to do it. <clears throat> Hi, my name is Brent. I'm being held in a basement somewhere in central <laughs> time zone. I'm being tied up with HDMI cable, the really thick kind that you used to get at Best Buy back in the 90s. Cost about $200 for 50 feet. It's not that thin stuff from Amazon, so it's really tight. I'm under duress, and I'm told I need to read this intro uh, for a podcast. So I'm going to try my best. Okay. Welcome to the Hometown Hollywood <laughs> Podcast, where you, you can find advice, inspiration, and strategies for success for talented people that are making him for themselves inside the film industry, but outside of major cities. Here's your host, oh, Travis Myers. Okay, and I'll give you a real one. If you one. ever want to see Brent Christie again, you'll subscribe <laughs> to the show and write a positive review. <laughs> Please, five stars is 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 still even if it, there's something wrong. Five stars, you know, a perfect score really helps. Like, you know, the star system isn't like the other systems where you know four stars is like it was almost perfect, but this is something that could change. Just give it five stars anyways and tell us, you know, kind of a nice way what was wrong, but we, it was probably good anyways. This is the best introduction I've ever had. I'm sorry, previous <laughs> guests. You were just not <laughs> <all> done. <laughs> hey, my name is Travis Myers, and this is the Hometown Hollywood Podcast. Today's guest is Brent Christie, a cinematographer and director in Charlotte, North Carolina. In this interview, Brent talks about working with high-caliber people. He goes more into detail about what he means by that, but I would just like to insert quickly that Brent is definitely a high-caliber individual. You can tell very quickly that he has a selfless personality and really appreciates the relationships he has with his family and peers. As a side note, on the day we were supposed to record the episode, there were some technical issues that required us to push back the interview, but we ended up having a long conversation anyway where Brent took the time out of his busy schedule to give me some much-needed personal guidance on my own career and life path. Even if you took his talent in filmmaking out of the question, Brent Christie would still be on the top of my list of high-caliber people. If you need some motivation on being intentional with people, story, and your filmmaking, look no further than the advice Brent gives on the show. Also, because life got a little crazy after recording this episode, it took several weeks to upload this interview, and Brent has done some amazing work in the meantime, so be sure to check out his work in the links I'll leave in the show notes. In this interview, you'll learn about Brent's journey into filmmaking, becoming an incentive chaser, how to work with others on set, networking with high-caliber people, comparing and contrasting collaborating with talented directors such as Shea Sizemore and previous guest Justin Robinson, working with basically no lighting package versus large lighting packages, balancing family life with pursuing a film career, directing and DPing Western-adjacent feature films, getting the completeness of your ideas on the canvas, how the good stuff is never easy, and the power of simple encouragement. Brent is one of my heroes, and it was an honor to hear about his journey in the film industry. Whether you know it or not, you've waited a long time for this interview, so let's get right into the show. Brent Christie. Welcome to the Hometown Hollywood Podcast. Thanks, Travis. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> so, Brent, um, I really love your work. You have worked on a lot of stuff. I look on your IMDb, and there's just short after short after feature after feature at all ranges of projects. And um, I love the style of your work. Just love everything about it, Brent. We're going to get into a lot of specific projects, um, but tell us, 
how did <laughs> that sounded a little bit uh, like the interrogation? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm under. I told everybody I was under duress, so it's it's <laughs> it's the tone already. Tell us now, <laughs> how did you get your start? Did you go through film school? Did you just do your own thing on YouTube? Uh, tell us who is Brent Christie. I I'd be glad to share that. I started uh, working at cable access. Uh, television stations around Eastern Michigan where I grew up. Uh, shortly after high school, I was looking for whatever was next. I was really into music. I was a sound mixer at uh, the church I attended. I was uh, in a pop punk band and uh, all all of those things. And at the same time, it was it was a joy to do all those things. But I I didn't have a direction and I didn't feel like. I had a path forward in that. And somebody told me, well, you you have a nice voice. Have you ever thought about radio, this and that? So since I had all the technical knowledge uh, from uh, audio recording at the time, this is in the early 2000s, I went to community college, started uh, a program there. And uh, one of the requirements of the radio program is that you also need to be a part of the television uh, studio program and kind of dip in and out of those students' requirements. And when I picked up a camera, everything changed. I was not very good at the guitar. I was, um, you know, at this place where I didn't put in the time to uh, take myself to the next level. And when I picked up the camera, that became something where uh, there was, in it seemed like an infinite amount of avenues, things to learn about. How do you capture an image? How do you tell a story? I mean, the simplicity was intriguing, and that's really when the obsession started. I haven't played guitar since, and I have been completely focused on the camera. So after that experience at community college, did um, cable access television for high school sporting events and did some announcing uh, for those sports as well. But then I got to uh, touch the cameras, run the cables, set up audio equipment, and we did city council meetings, all this basic stuff that... That you know led me uh, on a couple years of following a path towards well maybe television you know is is a way to go and uh, it, but it all still was focused on the camera and that brought me to uh, Full Sail University in Orlando Florida or Winter Park and uh, I, I went to get a film degree there and all of a sudden lighting became something that was it was on my radar and understood that you needed to have exposure to record something but um, all of a sudden a, a 10 ton lighting package and a and a sound stage was made available and hmm. you know the the hours were really yours to make and we could all of a sudden uh, play with all this equipment and get uh, get our hands on things that we that I never would have uh, otherwise so that that's kind of where it started and then uh, I've really been an incentive chaser ever ever since moved back to Michigan I now live in the Carolinas and uh, work a lot in Georgia and a lot of it is uh, just based on incentive filmmaking uh, for feature films and you know along the way I've met a lot of uh, great writers and directors like Justin Robinson and Shea Sizemore and uh, Gary Wheeler who have all been um, crucial to uh, my development and uh, opportunities to just shoot anything and everything whether it's a short film or you know now it's uh, on the feature level but that's that's uh that's the long-winded answer when you say that you are an incentive chaser what does that mean to you yeah it's it's a term that i've never heard before i completely made it up and uh <laughs> identified with because it's this just this funny note 
in my career, you know, to to be an incentive chaser who uh, did not um, live in L.A. or New York, uh, who could still work on feature films, you know, whether it was in Michigan or North Carolina or Georgia, you know, to and and other states for that matter. But uh, being able to live in those places and, and work in that way. Um, as, is a, is something I don't take for granted, and um, it's it's chasing because uh, most incentives, state incentives, don't last that long. Uh, the 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 forty two percent return on investment in Michigan uh, did did not stay that way for long, and uh, Charlotte has ebbed and flowed. Charlotte, North Carolina, and Atlanta, Georgia, has uh, really found a rhythm. Um, much of Louisiana, New Orleans. Uh, did it well for a long time too. And I have friends in all those places who have found work outside of the traditional Hollywood system that you think of in LA and New York. And while there are opportunities uh, to to work there, uh, I've I've valued uh, not living there. And that's that's just been a, <laughs> a, a really that's just been a value of my wife and I and um, you know what the the experience that we want day in and day out uh, is has been great. Um, you know, moving uh, throughout the Midwest and throughout the South. And uh, I can't say that we'll always approach it this way, but up to this point, uh, it's been great to have a little bit of land, a little bit of a backyard for my two little boys to run in and to um, also be able to work uh, with some high caliber uh, people and um, uh, high quality people who... um, you know, you, you when you work on a production with somebody, uh, you know you're you're in each other's uh, personal space for months at a time, and then you may never see them again. It's this really unique uh, experience making a feature, and to to do it uh, uh, outside of uh, Los Angeles and New York has uh, has been uh, a great privilege. I know that's often a question like, well, what do you think about film school? Do you need to go? Are the ads for Full Sail University, is it as good as they make it seem? Um, it sounds like you were able to take advantage of it, and it was a great thing, because I know a lot of people just have mixed opinions on whether you should go or not. What do you think? When do you think it's right for somebody to go to film school, or why do you think that would be important versus going just the do-it-yourself route? Yeah, I, th- I think you have to know who you are as a person. I know I needed some extra guidance. I like being in the midst of those who know much more than me and the, uh, with the opportunities in front of me and the relationships and network that I had at the time, I did not see a path forward. And Full Sail for me was a great chance to create a network. And there's people I'm still friends with today from that class that I was in and you know, the opportunities that came after that, you know, into the real world, you know, were all, all thanks to meeting other people who were obsessed like I was. And we went to the next level. I think if you're the kind of person that can read a book or have the confidence to j- jump into something and say, no, I, I can figure this out. I think you totally should. I, I, I think you probably know yourself uh, if you're someone who's asking that question, should I do film school or not? If you feel like you can succeed in that environment. I, I wasn't necessarily a good uh, student in high school, but uh, when I was there, it's it's not quite like school. It's, it's definitely you touching pro equipment you're getting right into a studio they say okay well make a film you know (laughs) and we all make these terrible films and you know the (laughs) so much of so much of that 
reflex the reflexes that that I got from that experience I you know they're still part of my muscle memory today there are plenty of projects or short films I'm very I'm always excited to meet a new director if there's a director who has a vision and who's excited about a project and they see a, a collaboration between us uh, if I can come along as a DP and provide vision and be a, an additional help on the technical side but also you know really help curate the environment of a set help um build into the crew and the and what everybody is feeling on the set no matter what crew position you're in there's a lot of things that go into uh, a production in general but even on the short film side i've i've loved uh, the experiences i've had and um again people like justin and shay who have become lifelong friends uh through the process i i just met by happenstance we were uh you know doing other things and we saw kindred spirits in each other and we went and did a thing and those freebie productions that we did where you know well freebie to a certain extent i mean justin and shay put immense amount of their own collateral into the things that they do Uh, so it's you know to a negative balance sheet you know in the early stages but it's it's led to the work that that pays me and the work that i do now is having the ability to show what you've done in the past and and you know hopefully a short or two you know, comes out, uh, and on the positive side and you say, wow, we, I think we landed the plane on some of that, or, um, you know, so much of what, um, is needed today is, well, maybe this production you worked on doesn't have a beginning, middle or end, but did you, um, have a handful of screen grabs or did you, can you make a reel from it? You know, I think so much of Instagram, you know, I've gotten jobs from Instagram. It's, it's, it's a really unique time to be able to put what's in your mind, on on a screen and a screenshot into a reel into a production and uh that's that's certainly not a way to do it forever but i think if you're starting out and you need to build you know a reel especially as a a young dp um a young gaffer uh anything like that just put the work in if it never turns out you never show anybody the worst that can come of it is well i wouldn't do it that way again or Boy, you know I, that technique I I put into practice was very useful. I'm I'm going to keep that one with me. Very cool. You talked about uh, the relationships you have with Justin Robinson, uh, Shay Sizemore, Andrew Bradford. I've noticed yeah. while doing my homework on you and the projects that you do that they seem to be there with you all the time. I think one of the reasons that I really like filmmaking it's a chance for me to get some of my best friends together and make memories that we'll never forget and we'll tell tell well we'll tell our grandkids. So how did you meet these individuals and I guess after working with them so long what's it like collaborating with them and working with them now? Well, uh Justin and I met we were both uh, on a production where we were both camera operators uh probably 8 years ago now and um and with with Shay, we met by happenstance through a, another connection. I think uh, Shay was looking for a DP for a short film, and we had um, not met before, but we had some people in common, and we got introduced. And in both of those scenarios, I think we we found kindred spirits, and that we loved filmmaking. We we wanted to be making films on a bigger level, and in the case with both Shay. And Justin was that here was an avenue where, well, here's a short film. Here's an idea. Do you think we can do this? And, you know, that's it's just that that spark that was needed to you know start the fire of uh, those relationships. And with both Shay and Justin, uh, we've done um, 
dozens of projects together, and that's for a reason. We we loved working together because you know we we all uh, we all have families. We all understand the commitment that it takes to uh, jump into something where you're not uh, getting paid your day rate or you know getting paid enough to. Uh, to move the needle uh, with one single project and to do that anyways, uh, I think you have to really like the people you're working with to jump into those scenarios. Now there are, are times where I've shot short films with a director and you know we've not worked together again for one reason or another. You know, uh, yeah. Certainly to share this analogy with these people who have been really a, a large part of my life outside of the film industry is to say, you know, I was really fortunate to find my people early on. Now there's if you're someone who's looking for those opportunities and to network and meet people, I can't guarantee a timeline of when you'll find you know those people that you connect with the most. But uh, even for me, there are times where I've connected with future collaborators when we've been doing different roles on productions years earlier. For example, I was working on a feature as a gaffer, and we had uh, an intern that came on for the last few weeks of the production. Uh, we connected and uh, stayed in touch. And five years later, he was producing his own feature. And I came out and did the second unit DP work for it. And, you you know, first of all, it's a great example. If you never know who you're talking to, it's a, it's a great reason to, you know, not to treat everybody as you want to be treated for the sake of your career or for the sake of, well, you know, everybody's going to get me something. But, you know, humankind, we're, we're all part of the human condition. And to recognize that uh, every production takes, it takes everybody. It takes everybody to jump in. Now, everybody might not be investing the same sweat equity, but you, I'm a firm believer. I, I want to know everybody's name on the set that I'm working on. I want to be able to gauge the temperature of, okay, this department's a little bit slower than I'd like to be. This department, oh, they're on their A game. I can lean on this department for this. Maybe I need to help this other department or these other um, members of this department with this. Even though I'm a DP, how can I jump in and help you know, a little bit outside of my uh, zone? You know, the, what, what can I do to provide a win for this movie and this production? And I think it's so important to uh, really look at it that way. Even, you know, early on, you're talking about uh, the work that you've, that you've liked of mine. Uh, I, I can't own it solely. So much of what's out there and so much of what's put together is it's a huge village that needs to come together to, to get a movie made, a short film or feature length. A lot of hands go into it, and I, I don't yeah. take that lightly. And I, I can't remember what the question was that got us here. I think it was, oh, it was about um, working with the people <laughs> I work with a lot. The, you know, the reason that I work with them a lot is because you know, we all want to help each other grow and do the next thing. You know, Shay uh, had a short film recently that um, I came out and gaffed, and it was a great, uh, for, for, one, for one, a great opportunity to sharpen the sword mentally as someone who loves lighting and get back into the place of, okay, my responsibility is a little bit less. It's completely focused in this one area. To be a successful filmmaker and part of a film community, you need to be able to provide a, you know, a work ethic and you know, the ability for others to work with you. So that, first of all, that's important. And whatever your crew position is, I think you probably will be dipping into, uh, oh, let me help you carry that 
uh, that table, you know, with yeah. a, a scenic person or, or, or someone greens. Yeah, let me help you carry those those trees. Okay, I see. You know, it's it's just a, a again break, breaking it down to the human level and not saying, well, this position is mine. I can't step out of it and blah blah blah. Certainly, there's a time and a place for that, but there's also a time and a place to be a human being uh, to one another. And I think guys like Andrew Bradford and Justin Robinson and Shay Sizemore have shown time and again that they want to be a part of. Uh, something bigger than themselves and we've all worked on each other's productions in different roles and in different ways uh, just to to help you know the other one you know see an opportunity through okay so let's talk about some of your work with these people uh there's two that i really love or i don't know they hit me a little harder is snowbirds and low country I think both of those, if I ever shot something that looked as good as those uh, short films, then I could just quit and uh, live happily in the swamps of South Carolina Mm. and uh, (laughs) eat crabs in someone else's cabin or something and just live the rest of my life like that and be happy. Well, I mean, that sh- that short film is a how-to on on how to do that. So if you want to be a drifter, um, watch Low Country. That's kind of the advertising you know, a uh, piece of it, you know, on, on social media, it's like, do you want to learn how to be a drifter? Watch Low Country. And so I, we've gotten a lot of views that way. It, it's it's not on the nose, but it's more of a wink. Okay. Like, you get what we're saying, right? This is this is yeah. how you do it. Well, I learned a lot from it. Yeah, it's, it's I, I love uh, both of those productions. And uh, maybe a through line between both of them is that they both came at a time you know, I, uh, I can really only speak from my perspective uh, uh, for both Justin and, and Shay, but what I can say for, for both Snowbirds and Low Country is that uh, as a DP, I can easily say so much of the look came from both of those directors. That it's, especially Snowbirds, you know, Shay and I have a different relationship than Justin and I do when as far as a dp director is concerned yeah uh just justin completely shapes his storyboards uh, he completely shapes the shot list he operates camera sometimes because he's got uh the vision he's got this moment and this um sometimes when you get the spark and i love that uh, about him and i love that about uh, again when I when I think about filmmaking, I don't think about it as why is the director touching my camera. I'm thinking about it as <laughs> oh, we're here. He's he's got he's got the vibe. He he just caught um he just caught something and he's running with it. Let's get it. And I want I want to come in and I'll jump in and you know hold a French flag to to block a, a little bit of sunlight or make sure that you know turn into uh, camera support mode you know wh- whatever it is that makes that moment um, better you know like the opening shot uh, of the film behind the gravestone you know, it was Justin operating he had the zone we were in the vision it was getting to dusk and he said hey I've got this set up I've got an idea and he's he's a great operator and uh, he's he's very skilled uh, as a camera technician as well even though he doesn't pursue that he he has that gifting and I think that helps being able to speak that language as a director you know he's he's using that to his advantage now Shay is is different he doesn't come from a camera background or or having done a lot of work in that realm he is a strong editor he's a strong writer he's he he comes from this place of thoughtful reminiscence of he has this 
it's this seems like this endless well of ideas and turns and uh you know spontaneity is it happens a lot on uh Shay's sets and on the short films that we've done together we have a shot list and we have a direction but man you said this beautiful I saw you wink this way or Shay is just uh you know like Justin as well but 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 Shay is observant and he's just he's just present and and both of those directors are present Mm. and that is such an important thing so if there's anything to say about the look and the tone and and what worked well about those I can tell you the the thing that brought it together was that we each of those productions had two leaders who communicated their vision well yeah the the two films like you said they they look they have distinct looks to them, and that uh, they were very much influenced by how the director wanted the story. Yeah. Uh, how were the like the lighting packages? Like, how did you approach the lighting for uh, Low Country versus Snowbirds? That, now that's that's where they completely differ. Low Country uh-huh. was a film that had no lights. We only oh. we only used practical lighting for uh, the liquor store, for example, where he's silhouette outside. He he takes a drink from the wine bottle. Um, when he's in, I'm trying to think now. There's um, there's plenty of scenes that we shot that didn't make the the final edit. There's a kitchen scene that doesn't quite make it to the final film that uh, you we use the practical lighting there. But uh, if you go back and watch the film, it's it. it pretty much takes place uh during the daytime and we had we had small modifiers if we wanted to you know if if i wanted to bounce a light using a flex fill uh you know into the eyes or something that's that's something that worked really well on that film but i mean the guitar scene at the beginning i i I go back and watch that sometimes and still choke up it's just it's just this raw moment that uh was was beautiful to to witness and that's just the sun setting and it's just it's naturally bouncing off the walls and that set is just filled with uh this natural beautiful beach sunlight and uh so that that one we just took advantage of natural light and with snowbirds uh it was a little different there are some night scenes there are some some moments where we you know we did have a lot of lighting to work with we uh were sponsored by Westcott uh the film the film riot fellas helped get a westcott uh sponsorship which meant we primarily used their lighting huh. and we had some uh two by one panels that we um that we primarily used as our key lights and and so with that film we knew going into it that westcott was going to be a big part of it and i'm grateful that they were because what they provided for that film you know we couldn't have done it without i know that a lot of people struggle with uh what gear do I need or what should I use for this film? Um, that's something that I've I like to think about gear probably too much. I probably put place too much importance on it. And I saw in the notes of Low Country that you had a C three hundred and Rokinon Cine Primes. I I don't know. I I thought that was surprising because Rokinon sometimes they get uh, <laughs> people kind of like to hate on them, but that looked perfect. Um, it was one of those films where I kind of got lost in the story, so I couldn't even focus too much on the lighting. And I had to like rewatch parts of it to say, okay, this is what the lighting looks like. This is the lenses. Um, I don't know. What are your thoughts on gear, owning gear? Is it important? Do you have any go-to things? Or are you just like, hey, I'm going to do the best with whatever they give me? Because you've worked on a variety of different levels of projects from uh, low-budget shorts to being on set with 
uh, Iron Man 3. Sure. Yeah, and and to be specific with uh, my Iron Man experience was as a lighting tech, so certainly got to got to play with a lot of larger fixtures that I rarely use in my DP career. Most of the things I shoot are on an independent level. Usually, you know, a million dollars or less is a great rough estimate of, you know, how, how to think of these productions when it comes to independent features. You know, that's that's kind of the, the, the average uh, range. So all that to say, you know, the while something like Iron Man, you would have larger fixtures, plenty of um, 18K, 20K, you know, 100K soft suns, you know, on the short film side, uh, what we look at is we get excited about a script and an idea and how to execute it. And then we say, well, most of the time, uh, again, for Justin and Shay in, in the things we've done together, it's, oh, we don't have much money. What are the relationships we have? How can we uh, leverage this uh, opportunity for for others who want to be a part of it? And, um, you know, that, uh, so Low Country and, you know, was an example of, you know, we, those were the, the tools at our disposal and, uh, we jumped in. I, I didn't have any complaints and, and I'm also not, um, a DP who focuses on, uh, the nitty gritty of, um, every lens test. Um, I, I just haven't found, I just haven't found the passion in that, in that side of the experience. Uh, I, I, I like to come at it from here's a script, here's the tone. Uh, this should feel, this should feel very clean. This should feel very dirty. This should feel, um, very, gritty because it's this it's a dark story this should feel very clean and bright because it's a christmas movie or because it's this um it's a commercial for a brand and the client wants a bright clean beautiful smooth look and i think uh that's when i look at the the other side of it and and then search for the equipment that best utilizes um, those ideas when it comes to lenses, when it comes to camera and things like that. So uh, for the short film side of it, yeah, having the Rokinon lenses nearby, it was a great comfort. I've found them great to use. And uh, I love the Canon C-series, both the C100, the C200, C300. Um, having used all those cameras, the ND system seems to give a, a, a really specific look. And, um, you know, Low Country was a film where we stop down on the ND most of the time. And, you know, I think that also informs the look is the color and the tone of the the internal camera ND filters of those C-series cameras from Canon. And, um, you know, I've, I've, I've loved them and been very happy. And then, uh, you know, when there's a choice, you know, airy cameras have been on a roll. Um, I've been very happy with uh, the Alexa, the Amira, and the Alexa Mini in the, the last handful of years. And uh, I also want to be someone who's open to change and being shown a better avenue. Andrew Bradford has been my first AC on many productions, and the majority of them in the last three or four years. And he uh, he is very good about the tech side of it. And uh, that's what makes him a good first AC and a good DP, and that works for him. And having that relationship in my professional career has helped me. And the in the ways where I'm not as focused on the tech side, I can turn to him and say, "Hey, man, do you think we can find lenses like this nearby? Or do you think uh, what do you think of when you see this? I'm looking for a lens that that looks like this, that, or the other." And He's the kind of guy who's seen the lens test and, you know, mm-hmm. has, has seen the blogs that, that post about a new lens or a new thing. And and so, um, again, having a, a network of people who can fill in your weaknesses and build you up as you build them up, 
is, is so crucial to all of it, all the gear questions to me. That's awesome. So I've noticed in your work, at least uh, the work that I've seen the most probably has been the work you've done with Justin Robinson and Shea Sizemore. Like you've mentioned, you guys obviously have developed an awesome team there. And I notice that a lot of the work you do is very uh, performance-driven. Um, like I said before, like you, you kind of forget about the camera work because you're so... Uh, invested in what the characters are doing. Is that, I don't know, uh, the closest thing I can think of is uh, kind of like David Fincher where the camera will move slightly up to follow the, the, the action. It's not like cameras are spinning around. Is that is that your style? Is that something you collaborate with the directors and figure out on the way? Um, how do you develop the style that you have? Where do you seek inspiration for that? I think that uh, you're you're correct about those short films that you're describing. That you know specifically, they're very static camera positions. They, uh, you know, it's just a series of portraits in, in many ways. And my views as a, a DP when it comes to how to collaborate with a director is: uh, Are we speaking the same language? Are we? Is what you're pitching exciting? And I, I want to get. Um, collaborating with you and to, to me I I think it's there will always be a, a piece of me in, in all the things and I, and I think there will be moments where yeah that looks like something Brent would do but at the same time I, I try hard to challenge myself in the projects I take and in the opportunities available to us uh, a lot of the latter films that Justin and I have done together have had zoom lenses in them. The last the last two shorts have uh, uh, had has have had zooms in the film. Uh, the uh, some productions with Shay that I've done, um, uh, we did two features together that we incorporated Dolly much more than we did on our early short films that were very very static. Especially Shay and I, we fall into that portraiture very easily together. And uh, what I'm interested in is. Can we? Are we excited about the story? And I, I don't look at myself as this is my style. I, I don't try to veer away from it. If there's a, a car commercial that, um, that speaks to me and it's a collaborator I want to work with, I want to jump in there and I want to do a, a production that, if it's required, great. It's completely handheld. It's running around. Uh, um, it's you know a Russian arm. It's it's following the speed and the action of the story. Uh, to me, I'm interested in telling the story mm-hmm. and I want to get the story out. So if that's static camera positions uh, and that's what the story requires, let's fold into it. If it the story requires movement and lots of it, let's find a way to do it. I want to know that we're serving the story as best as possible with the camera. And I want to be hidden as much as possible until the camera, unless the camera needs to be um, a character in a certain moment, you know, let's, uh, I want to be very intentional about what the camera's doing and to serve the project as best as possible. Well, I think you do that wonderfully because I'm um, pretty much everything you do. I'm just very emotionally involved in what's going on and uh, um, you're killing it. So, <laughs> and you know, and listen, I'll I'll say this: it's it's a sacred dance when you're working with an actor. They, you know, there's nobody else on that set is putting 
their face, their emotions, their a piece of themselves on the screen in perpetuity like an actor will. Yeah. And when you are working with an actor, the utmost respect needs to be observed yeah, from that side of it. And I'm not saying, um, you know, the the tone of the set needs to to be of full reverence of whatever the actor wants to do this or, you know, you know, you have all these different power dynamics that come into it based on the, the level of production. But what I'm saying is know the vibe of the set. If you're working with an actor or multiple actors who work better by feeling it out, by by really pushing back on some of the blocking, be open to that as as a dp as a director if it's if they're the right person for the role and you know the onset is well we can't set that light there for the shot because i think the character would do this or i would run over and do this maybe the director has a pushback and dials it in completely great maybe the director says yeah that's an amazing note that's going to make the story better i think you have to be open to all of the changes that are possible and all the things that are possible, especially when it comes to uh, the acting. So blocking is so important and and feeling it out. Even if you have the shot list, even if you have all this prep, uh, you need to still stand it up and see if it will stand on the foundation you've built. I'll say this, as a DP, I view it as my job to come over prepared, to have an extensive shot list, and then when I get to set, to be ready to throw it all away if we're in the, if we're in a moment and yes. and we're seeing something beautiful and the story's being told in a powerful way because it's not a waste to not do the shots that you planned on doing and this rarely happens where you throw everything away but i <laughs> i use that extreme metaphor to say you should come in with a plan know the story put the story in your heart and if you are open to learning more about the story it should change you should add, oh, we need to add two shots because look at how this beautifully plays out. I saw it in my head one way when I read it. I see it another way when um, we do a table read. Now I'm seeing it another way as the actor is performing in front of me. This is the story now. you know. And when it gets to the edit, that will also tell you something about the story. So there are many different directors. So, you know, Again, Justin is a director of precision and intentionality and usually what he plans is the final product because he he hones it into the exacting nature of it and Shay is a different kind of director he the the things flow and come and go and both of those are the right decision because they work for both of them as collaborators and that's a beautiful thing about making a film is that all of it can ebb and flow and some of it is is in step uh, in sync to precision and others are, you know, it's a little more easygoing. And I think that should inform, you know, how you operate. Um, and, and it's informs how I operate as a DP. I love that. I think, I know we've been talking about you as a DP, uh, most of this time, but you also direct and DP feature films. Um, so it's not like you're just a, a one-trick pony. You <laughs> you do it all. So you speak with experience of direction. Uh, how did you get into directing? Like, I don't know. I have directed and somewhat DP'd shorts of my own, and I know that is an exhausting thing. And they're like five-minute shorts. <laughs> yeah. How do you handle directing and DPing? feature films that have a lot on the table. Yeah, I, I, I think what I can say about that is 
Gary Wheeler, a producer who I've worked with for years and who's become a friend after all these years, we we were we found ourselves in an opportunity where I was shooting a film where um, our director wasn't available, and all of a sudden I had the most knowledge of the story, I had the most prep put in, and uh, kudos to him. He said, uh, well, "Why don't you direct it?" You know, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's 15 days. It's this one look, you know, the locations back and forth. I work hard to have a great rapport with actors as the DP. And um, it was a great opportunity to learn more about uh, working with actors specifically and making sure that they have what they need to perform and to uh, live in that story. So it was, um, it's really been specifically through that relationship with Gary that um, I've directed and DP'd four films now. The The projects that Gary has been getting off the ground uh, have primarily been Western, uh, you know, the like the corporate term uh, could be Western adjacent. Because we, oh, did a, yeah. we did a film called Blue Ridge, we did a film called Legal Action, we did a, you know, Shea directed a film called County Line. Those are all uh, present day, but, you know, they have a, you know, Justified, Longmire, Yellowstone, you know, those, the tone, yes. the tone of those is, is very much present in these, in these features. But then we also did The Legend of Five Mile Cave and The Warrant, which are period piece westerns. And uh, I, th- I think they're, uh, you know, they've, they've done well and that, that genre is having a renaissance right now and it's been it's been an honor to be uh, a part of it insofar as you know, the legend of file mile cave shot at old tucson studios where john wayne shot rio bravo mcclintock oh. uh parts of the quick and the dead sam raimi's film shot there parts of tombstone parts of silverado it's you know the oh, gr- wow. many great westerns uh touched upon that ground in Tucson, Arizona, and to shoot in that same place alone was uh, such a great experience, and to be able to utilize um, uh, sets that have since been repurposed, but uh, still have you know the ghosts of film crews past were were certainly there in terms of uh, the tone and just walking down the streets and seeing different angles uh, built up in that way and. Uh, you know the again the advantage of independent filmmaking is just finding the right location that uh, you can steal so to speak to to get the thing made and to have a fully built out um, you know stage um, city you know to to work in that and and learn from that um, shooting experience was invaluable I've been grateful for for having that opportunity I'm reticent to call myself a director because uh, outside of that world, I think it would have to take a really exceptional story for me to say, yeah, I can direct this and let go of the DP role or or maybe it, it is still a director DP role. I think I think about the future and all I know is I never saw this opportunity in the future and uh, I, I don't want to look any further than this moment that I'm in right now and say, this has been a, a great opportunity, and if more come along that makes sense, I'd love to. But at, at at my core, I'm a cinematographer, and that's how I identify. If you were to put the dream into words, are you someone who looks forward like, I want to shoot feature films, and that is the dream? Or are you someone who kind of finds the dream on your way? 
I think it's a little bit of both. I work hard to to put in the time and to network and to find the best people to work with. I think I always want to work with the highest caliber person in terms of they're as obsessed as I am with filmmaking. Yeah. And I think that's that's probably as simple as the goal is. I think it's led me to this place and I'm grateful for it. But um, also, um, even though I identify as a cinematographer, you know, I just made that statement. I'm also, I, I more identify as a husband and as a father and as, you know, uh, having a life outside of the film industry as well. And that's very important to me. And um, right now I'm more scared about uh, being a good parent than, you know, whatever the next uh, feature is or whatever the next production is. I'm, I'm trying to um, find that balance and, and, and live a life that, um, uh, that is, is full on both sides. It's, it can be very hard to do in a film industry that, that can require uh, long hours and can require very uh, short notice on shooting schedules and deadlines and uh, production timelines. Um, and, and having a family within that is, is work, but I'm, I'm willing to do the work. And so that's, um, that's me saying that, uh, I haven't figured it out yet. I don't know that I have that balance, but I, I'm looking at that and I think that's probably my dream right now. And hopefully that will also inform the stories I want to tell and the opportunities that are afforded to me. That's awesome. I think that's something I respect a lot about a lot of the filmmakers on the show is they, they live where they are or they're working the way they do because they have families and that is very important to them. And I think that, I mean, it obviously should be family is one of the most important things in this life. So, um, I think that's really cool that you're combining your dream, your passion, uh, with also the dream of having, I don't know, a successful family. That kind of sounds weird. That's not the phrase I'm looking for, but you know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> I guess. Um, there's a couple other questions. Uh, I know that filmmaking is very personal to you. It's something that you that you love. You found meaning in it. Um, I'd like to talk a little bit about your collaboration with uh, Justin Robinson on his documentary, My Brother Jordan. Because I know you were involved with that as well. I don't know if I've seen a more personal uh, documentary and hard-hitting piece than that. How was it like being involved with that uh, documentary? Well, I can I can say that I was a part of several interview segments, but Justin is obviously due the credit on everything in there and and everything about that production because it's it's so personal. I mean those those are films like my brother Jordan are the reason that I'm a filmmaker and the reason that I pursue it is because uh, you know Justin who's put in almost a decade into that film and has you know the amount of time that he's that he's thought about it you know it, it he's lived and breathed it for so long i mean it's his it's his life it's it's so uh, again it's so personal and it's there's really not much like it that i've been a part of and again i uh, being a part of it i use loosely because I think there's a handful of us who had an opportunity to to touch it, and you know that's 
you know, I'm grateful that I got to watch watch a storyteller continue to be in love with the thing that he's doing uh, amongst uh, an immense pain and an amongst a very difficult story to tell. It's yeah. it's um, it's just a beautiful example of the human condition and a beautiful example of what we can be and uh, what we can do as humans. I mean, the example of Jordan Robinson is. He's a, a character in a movie right now, to a certain extent. You know, I think I'll, I'll take that liberty to say, when you when you find a character in a movie that you want to be like, that or that you know someone like Jordan Robinson, I want my I, I want my sons to grow up and have the values that Jordan Robinson did, and to to leave a legacy like he did, to have a brother that he affected so much that he he couldn't do anything else but make a movie about him for years. I mean that to have that uh, that effect on the world around you in your small community that says everything uh, I need to know about Jordan, about Justin and that says everything I want to see in myself and in my boys and in um you know my own legacy and you know, I, and maybe legacy is not the right word. I think it's more how should we be treating each other? What 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 kind of people do we need to be? And I think this movie adds to the nuance of that conversation that changes every day and is different for everybody. But the constant is Jordan Robinson was a man among men, and he deserves uh, to be revered in this way. And uh, this movie doesn't put him on a pedestal, but it shows uh, it shows the power of kindness it shows the power of hard work and having a calloused mind a mind that is dedicated to excellence in the thing you want to do i mean there's so many little stories within this one short movie i mean it's the you know there's there's so many things about that uh, production that don't make sense if you're looking out of a film school notebook or somebody's uh film festival uh, guidelines well your film should be this long it should have this sort of act structure it should do this should do that <laughs> justin's a talented filmmaker and he knows all that but he's but the film that came out is the right film because it came from justin and it and it came from the core and that's what the film needed to be. Yeah, for sure. I like I said, I don't know if I've been touched by a documentary as much as I have my brother Jordan. And so, thank you for your contribution to that film because it's literally uh, helping change the world to be a little better place. Um, I mean, it's getting so many uh, views. It's past eleven million now. That's cool, man, to be able to tell that kind of story and be a part of it. I know that you talked about uh, Justin's, uh, I guess, work ethic or whatever to create this thing. Um, but you also have done a lot of work and pumping out feature after feature, short after short. How do you stay motivated? How do you keep going? And how do you balance that type of work with the family that you have that's really important to you? The, the best part of new productions is you know everything up until day one of the shoot because everything is possible every idea can be executed every dream can be lived in just a little bit longer and then you you get to reality and things you know start to decay and then you realize what's in front of you and yeah that's um it sounds negative but i, I think it's just 
it's important for me to to look at that reality of uh, the, the things we make. There's always something that's not quite 100%. Uh, I wish I was better prepared with who to correctly attribute this quote to, but on the Mark Marin podcast, um, a, a psychedelic painter was on the podcast talking about his process over the years, over his prolific career as an artist. And he talked about when he was young, he had this idea and he would put it onto canvas and maybe 40% of that idea made it from his mind to creation into the real world. And mm. he, he jumped ahead to himself currently and said, you know, right now I'm probably at 80, 85% of of what's in my mind makes it to canvas. And uh, that's that's an important story. While it's it's again it's it's certainly paraphrased on the numbers and uh, the style, but the, but what I take from that and what I what I keep with me is that ideas are powerful. Ideas are important, and at the same time, communication more than anything is important. It, film industry or otherwise, communication is how we exist together. And are we able to share in the nuance of life and to be able to have that mental foundation of all these things that we work so hard to do when you have a family, the time at home that you're not on set is may still not be your own time because you've you've given your mind the the right to think about the production still when you're at home thinking about that next shot, thinking about that next thing. Um, I've I've had these great opportunities the last few years where I've been able to work closer to home on the features that I shoot and still uh, be a part of my kids' everyday life in person. And that uh, is by design, the difficulties by design. And I choose I choose to work through those difficulties and try to find a way to to put in the work in both those places. So my, my big my, my big uh, paraphrased uh, metaphor there, uh, is the 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 mind the space what lives in your mind is is an important thing to be able to uh, to get a rein in on and you know again when 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 we talk about balance balance is a daily uh, it's a daily bar to reach yeah. some days you'll do more work and your family will suffer some days you'll you'll have that extra time with the family and you'll forget about the the work and uh and then maybe something you know suffers you know the next day and you know uh, I'm I'm certainly talking specific contextually to work hours and how they meld together with family but but hopefully the um but hopefully the universal thing to take away is that uh it's it's never easy it's never meant to be easy the good stuff isn't easy yeah but finding a way to uh, to care for the things that you care about in your passions and your work life in uh, your hobbies, and then also uh, thinking about the people in your life who uh, live your life with you outside of those desires, who aren't with you when all of those are being executed. You know, that's, I think that's such an important thing to, how, how do you take care of the people in your life? That's That's got to be an important thought. And it, it's hard not to think about the film because film is so all-encompassing. And when you have a great idea, when you're on the creative side, it's just, it's going all the time. Yeah. It's it's not something that easily turns off. But I'm I'm working on ways to to be better at it. And, and I hope that, that I continue to, 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 to fight for that because it's worth fighting for. 
I think that's great advice. I think for whatever, I don't know, whatever career or work you're in, to be intentional both at work and home and finding that balance and just putting the emphasis on working on it is super important advice. If people all over the world kept that advice, the world would be a lot better place. Um, I really appreciate you saying that. I, I have one last question. I have about a million questions I could ask, but I've got one last question so I don't take your entire day. Uh, but if you were to give advice to a younger you, what would you tell them about getting started in the film industry or, I don't know, what's your nuggets of wisdom you would give to a younger Brent Christie? Well, younger Brent Christie was a was a a person who was very in his mind, very um, in his own head about his value and his confidence and in uh, what was possible and in who he was, frankly. So I think there's there's different stages of of the identity changes. I think no matter what the stage is, whether it's a very young version of myself that's still in grade school or uh, that version of myself that's looking uh, at what a career should be like, I don't think I'd say anything. I think knowing about, uh, knowing what I just said, uh, I think if I just popped up in a time machine to myself, I, I think I'd just give myself a hug and say, it's going to be, it's going to be okay. You're going to find a way. And I think just, I think some sometimes simple encouragement is enough for me. And I think that's what I, I would just give myself. I don't think, I don't think revealing anything or uh, pushing too hard on anything other than let it be you're going to find a way. That's really powerful. Um, I think uh, a little encouragement, like you said, goes a long way. And I have been uh, very much encouraged by the things that you've said on the show, the advice you've given me personally. And uh, just keep doing great work, man. Uh, I know you're going to have the... (laughs) You're going to have a ton of opportunities, and I'm excited to see your career through the years. Uh, I will follow you, and I know that our audience will follow you as well. Where would you tell them to the best place to follow your work? Well, uh, brentchristie.tv. I keep pretty active. Brent.christie on Instagram is a place where I pop up every now and then with uh, with work, but... Um, yeah, those those two places are are the best way to go as far as uh, recent work. Uh, again, I, I had very little uh, to do with it other than uh, to to enjoy the, the process uh, and being able to witness uh, the execution of my brother Jordan. But that's that's the thing I'd I'd encourage everybody to take a look at uh, my brother Jordan. Uh, you can search it. It is uh, the only thing with those three words together that is being talked about right now, and uh, you should be able to find it pretty quickly. For sure. I will uh, leave links in the show notes. Um, so people listening, click on them links. Connect with Brent because he's going to do a lot of awesome stuff as he's continuing to do. Um, so Brent, thanks for being on the show, and uh, it was a pleasure. Let's do it again, Travis. And that's it. Thank you for listening. I hope this helps you do great work, be the artist you want to be, and helps you not be afraid to jump in with both feet and make things happen in your film community. Be sure to follow Brent's extensive list of work on Instagram and check out his website to keep up to date with his latest projects. I'll leave a bunch of links in the show notes for you to check out. Remember to leave a review on the show and subscribe however you wish. Those double C thick HDMI cables that I use to keep my guests on the show ain't cheap. Thanks again for listening and stay tuned for our next awesome guest on the Hometown Hollywood Podcast.
And can can I be untied? That's the important thing. Can I leave the yeah, basement? Untie. Can, can I go home? Unleash the Kraken. Oh my gosh, this is this is a scripted in and of itself. Had to I had to do a podcast for my life, and I'm freed. 